Chapter Ten, Part One of The Teeth of the Tiger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Teeth of the Tiger by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Ten. Gaston Sauverin explains. Gaston Sauverin. Instinctively, Don Luis took a step back, drew his revolver, and aimed it at the criminal. Hands up! He commanded. Hands up, or I fire. Sauverin did not appear to be put out. He nodded toward two revolvers which he had laid on a table beyond his reach, and said, "'There are my arms. I have come here not to fight, but to talk.' "'How did you get in?' roared Don Luis, exasperated by this display of calmness. "'A false key, I suppose. But how did you get hold of the key? How did you manage it?' The other did not reply. Don Luis stamped his foot. "'Speak, will you? Speak! If not—' But Florence ran into the room. She passed him by without his trying to stop her, flung herself upon Gaston Sauverin, and taking no heed of Perenna's presence, said, "'Why did you come? You promised me that you wouldn't. You swore it to me. Go!' Sauverin released himself and forced her into a chair. "'Let me be, Florence. I promised only so as to reassure you. Let me be.' "'No, I will not!' exclaimed the girl eagerly. It's madness. I won't have you say a single word. Oh, please, please stop. He bent over her and smoothed her forehead, separating her mass of golden hair. Let me do things my own way, Florence, he said softly. She was silent, as though disarmed by the gentleness of his voice, and he whispered more words which Don Luis could not hear, and which seemed to convince her. Perenna had not moved. He stood opposite them with his arm outstretched and his finger on the trigger, aiming at the enemy. When Sauverin addressed Florence by her Christian name, he started from head to foot, and his finger trembled. What miracle kept him from shooting? By what supreme effort of will did he stifle the jealous hatred that burned him like fire? And here was Sauverin daring to stroke Florence's hair. He lowered his arm. He would kill them later, do with them what he pleased, since they were in his power, and since nothing henceforth could snatch them from his vengeance. He took Sauverin's two revolvers and laid them in a drawer. Then he went back to the door, intending to lock it, but hearing a sound on the first-floor landing, he leaned over the balusters. The butler was coming upstairs with a tray in his hand. "'What is it now?' "'An urgent letter, sir, for Sergeant Mazeroux. Sergeant Mazeroux is with me. Give me the letter, and don't let me be disturbed again.' He tore open the envelope. The letter, hurriedly written in pencil and signed by one of the inspectors on duty outside the house, contained these words. Look out, sergeant. Gaston Sauverin is in the house. Two people living opposite say that the girl who was known hereabouts as the lady housekeeper came in at half-past one before we took up our posts. She was next seen at the window of her lodge. A few moments later a small low door used for the cellars and situated under the lodge was opened, evidently by her. Almost at the same time a man entered the square, came along the wall, and slipped in through the cellar door. According to the description, it was Gaston Sauverin. So look out, sergeant. At the least alarm, at the first signal from you, we shall come in. Don Luis reflected. He now understood how the scoundrel had access to his house, and how, hidden in the safest of retreats, he was able to escape every attempt to find him. He was living under the roof of the very man who had declared himself his most formidable adversary. "'Come on,' he said to himself. "'The fellow's score is settled, and so is his young lady's. They can choose between the bullets in my revolver and the handcuffs of the police.' He had ceased to think of his motor standing ready below. He no longer dreamed of flight with Florence. If he did not kill the two of them, the law would lay its hand upon them, the hand that does not let go. And perhaps it was better so, that society itself should punish the two criminals whom he was about to hand over to it. He shut the door, pushed the bolt, 
faced his two prisoners again, and taking a chair, said to Sauveron, "'Let us talk.' Owing to the narrow dimensions of the room, they were all so close together that Don Luis felt as if he were almost touching the man whom he loathed from the very bottom of his heart. Their two chairs were hardly a yard asunder. A long table, covered with books, stood between them and the windows, which hollowed out of the very thick wall formed a recess, as is usual in old houses. Florence had turned her chair away from the light, and Don Luis could not see her face clearly. But he looked straight into Gaston Sauverin's face, and watched it with eager curiosity, and his anger was heightened by the sight of the still youthful features, the expressive mouth, and the intelligent eyes which were fine in spite of their hardness. "'Well, speak!' said Don Luis, in a commanding tone. "'I have agreed to a truce, but a momentary truce, just long enough to say what is necessary. Are you afraid, now that the time has arrived? Do you regret the step which you have taken?' The man smiled calmly and said, "'I am afraid of nothing, and I do not regret coming, for I have a very strong intuition that we can, that we are bound to, come to an understanding.' "'An understanding?' protested Don Luis with a start. "'Why not?' "'A compact!' an alliance between you and me. Why not? It is a thought which I had already entertained more than once, which took a more precise shape in the magistrate's corridor, and which finally decided me when I read the announcement which you caused to be made in the special edition of this paper. Sensational declaration by Don Luis Perena. Madame Fauville is innocent. Gaston Sauverin half rose from his chair, and carefully picking his words, emphasizing them with sharp gestures, he whispered, "'Everything lies, monsieur, in those four words.' Do those four words which you have written, which you have uttered publicly and solemnly, Madame Fauville is innocent, do they express your real mind? Do you now absolutely believe in Marie Fauville's innocence? Don Luis shrugged his shoulders. Madame Fauville's innocence has nothing to do with the case. It is a question not of her, but of you, of you too and myself. So come straight to the point and as quickly as you can. It is to your interest even more than to mine. To our interest? "'You forget the third heading to the article,' cried Don Luis. "'I did more than proclaim Marie Fauville's innocence. "'I also announced—read for yourself—the imminent arrest of the criminals.' Sauverin and Florence rose together, with the same unguarded movement. "'And in your view the criminals are—' asked Sauverin. "'Why, you know as well as I do. "'They are the man with the ebony walking-stick, "'who at any rate cannot deny having murdered Chief Inspector Anceny, "'and the woman who is his accomplice in all his crimes.' Both of them must remember their attempts to assassinate me, the revolver shot on the boulevard Suchet, the motor smash causing the death of my chauffeur, and yesterday again in the barn, you know where, the barn with the two skeletons hanging from the rafters. Yesterday, you remember, the scythe, the relentless scythe which nearly beheaded me. And then? Well, then the game is lost. You must pay up, and all the more so as you have foolishly put your heads into the lion's mouth. I don't understand. What does all this mean? It simply means that they know Florence Lavasseur, that they know you are both here, that the house is surrounded, and that Weber, the deputy chief inspective, is on his way. Sauverin appeared disconcerted by this unexpected threat. Florence, standing beside him, had turned livid. A mad anguish distorted her features. She stammered, "'Oh, it is awful! No, no, I can't endure it!' And rushing at Don Luis, "'Coward! Coward!' It's you who are betraying us. Coward! Oh, I knew that you were capable of the meanest treachery. There you stand like an executioner. Oh, you villain! You coward! She fell into her chair, exhausted and sobbing, with her hand to her face. Don Luis turned away. Strange to say, he experienced no sense of pity. 
and Florence's tears affected him no more than her insults had done, no more than if he had never loved the girl. He was glad of this release. The horror with which she filled him had killed his love. But when he once more stood in front of them, after taking a few steps across the room, he saw that they were holding each other's hands, like two friends in distress, trying to give each other courage, and again yielding to a sudden impulse of hatred, for a moment beside himself he gripped the man's arm. "'I forbid you! By what right? Is she your wife? Your mistress? Then—' His voice became perplexed. He himself felt the strangeness of that fit of anger which suddenly revealed, in all its force and all its blindness, a passion which he thought dead and he blushed, for Gaston Sauvran was looking at him in amazement, and he did not doubt that the enemy had penetrated his secret. A long pause followed, during which he met Florence's eyes, hostile eyes, full of rebellion and disdain. Had she too guessed? He dared not speak another word. He waited for Sauvran's explanation, and while waiting he gave not a thought to the coming revelations, nor to the tremendous problems of which he was at last about to know the solution, nor to the tragic events at hand. He thought of one thing only, thought of it with the fevered throbbing of his whole being, thought of what he was on the point of learning about Florence, about the girl's affections, about her past, about her love for Sauvran. That alone interested him. "'Very well,' said Sauvran, "'I am caught in a trap. Fate must take its course. Nevertheless, can I speak to you? It is the only wish that remains to me.' "'Speak,' replied Don Luis. "'The door is locked. I shall not open it until I think fit. Speak.' I shall be brief, said Gaston Sauvran. For one thing, what I can tell you is not much. I do not ask you to believe it, but to listen to it as if I were possibly telling the truth, the whole truth. And he expressed himself in the following words. I never met Hippolyte and Marie Fauville, though I used to correspond with them. You will remember that we were all cousins, until five years ago, when chance brought us together at Palmero. They were passing the winter there while their new house on the boulevard Suchet was being built. We spent five months at Palmero, seeing one another daily. Hippolyte and Marie were not on the best of terms. One evening, after they had been quarrelling more violently than usual, I found her crying. Her tears upset me, and I could not longer conceal my secret. I had loved Marie from the first moment when we met. I was to love her always, and to love her more and more. "'You lie!' cried Don Luis, losing his self-restraint. "'I saw the two of you yesterday in the train that brought you back from Alençon.' Gaston Sauvran looked at Florence. She sat silent with her hands to her face and her elbows on her knees. Without replying to Don Luis's exclamation, he went on. Marie also loved me. She admitted it, but made me swear that I would never try to obtain from her more than the purest friendship would allow. I kept my oath. We enjoyed a few weeks of incomparable happiness. Hippolyte Fauville, who had become enamoured of a music-hall singer, was often away. I took a good deal of trouble with the physical training of the little boy Edmund, whose health was not what it should be. And we also had with us, between us, the best of friends, the most devoted and affectionate counsellor, who staunched our wounds, kept up our courage, restored our gaiety, and bestowed some of her own strength and dignity upon our love. Florence was there. Don Luis felt his heart beating faster, not that he attached the least credit to Gaston Sauvrin's words but he had every hope of arriving, through those words, at the real truth. Perhaps also he was unconsciously undergoing the influence of Gaston Sauvran, whose apparent frankness and sincerity of tone caused him a certain surprise. Sauvran continued, Fifteen years before, my elder brother, Raoul Sauvran, had picked up at Buenos Aires, where he had gone to live, a little girl, the orphan daughter of some friends. At his death he entrusted the child, who was then fourteen, to an old nurse who had brought me up, 
and who had accompanied my brother to South America. The old nurse brought the child to me, and herself died of an accident a few days after her arrival in France. I took the little girl to Italy to friends, where she worked and studied and became—what she is. Wishing to live by her own resources, she accepted a position as teacher in a family. Later I recommended her to my Fauville cousins, with whom I found her at Palmero as governess to the boy Edmund, and especially as the friend, the dear and devoted friend, of Marie Fauville. She was mine also at that happy time, which was so sunny and all too short. Our happiness, in fact the happiness of all three of us, was to be wrecked in the most sudden and tantalizing fashion. Every evening I used to write in a diary the daily life of my love, an uneventful life, without hope or future before it, but eager and radiant. Marie Fauville was extolled in it as a goddess. Kneeling down to write, I sang litanies of her beauty, and I also used to invent, as a poor compensation, wholly imaginary scenes, in which she said all the things which she might have said but did not, and promised me all the happiness which we had voluntarily renounced. Hippolyte Fauville found the diary. His anger was something terrible. His first impulse was to get rid of Marie. But in the face of his wife's attitude, of the proofs of her innocence which she supplied, of her inflexible refusal to consent to a divorce, and of her promise never to see me again, he recovered his calmness. I left with death in my soul. Florence left, too, dismissed. And never, mark me, never, since that fatal hour, did I exchange a single word with Marie. But an indestructible love united us, a love which neither absence nor time was to weaken. He stopped for a moment, as though to read in Don Luis's face the effect produced by his story. Don Luis did not conceal his anxious attention. What astonished him most was Gaston Sauverin's extraordinary calmness, the peaceful expression of his eyes, the quiet ease with which he set forth, without hurrying, almost slowly, and so very simply, the story of that family tragedy. "'What an actor!' he thought. And as he thought it, he remembered that Marie Fauville had given him the same impression. Was he then to hark back to his first conviction, and believe Marie guilty, a dissembler like her accomplice, a dissembler like Florence, or was he to attribute a certain honesty to that man? He asked, and afterward? Afterward I travelled about, I resumed my life of work and pursued my studies wherever I went, in my bedroom at the hotels and in the public laboratories of the big towns. And Madame Fauville? She lived in Paris in her new house. Neither she nor her husband ever referred to the past. How do you know? Did she write to you? No. Marie is a woman who does not do her duties by halves, and her sense of duty is strict to excess. She never wrote to me, but Florence, who had accepted a place as secretary and reader to Count Molonia, your predecessor in this house, used often to receive Marie's visits in her lodge downstairs. They did not speak of me once, did they, Florence? Marie would not have allowed it, but all her life and all her soul were nothing but love and passionate memories. Isn't that so, Florence? At last, he went on slowly, weary of being so far away from her, I returned to Paris. That was our undoing. It was about a year ago. I took a flat in the Avenue du Roule, and went to it in the greatest secrecy, so that Hippolyte Fauville might not know of my return. I was afraid of disturbing Marie's peace of mind. Florence alone knew, and came to see me from time to time. I went out little, only after dark, and in the most secluded parts of the Bois. But it happened, for our most heroic resolutions sometimes fail us. One Wednesday night at about eleven o'clock my steps led me to the boulevard Suchet, without my noticing it, and I went past Marie's house. It was a warm and fine night, and, as luck would have it, Marie was at her window. She saw me, I was sure of it, and knew me. And my happiness was so great that my legs shook under me as I walked away. 
After that I passed in front of her house every Wednesday evening, and Marie was nearly always there, giving me this unhoped-for and ever-new delight, in spite of the fact that her social duties, her quite natural love of amusement, and her husband's position obliged her to go out a great deal. "'Quick! Why can't you hurry?' said Don Luis, urged by his longing to know more. "'Look sharp and come to the facts. Speak!' He had become suddenly afraid lest he should not hear the remainder of the explanation, and he suddenly perceived that Gaston Sauverand's words were making their way into his mind as words that were perhaps not untrue. Though he strove to fight against them, they were stronger than his prejudices and triumphed over his arguments. The fact is that deep down in his soul, tortured with love and jealousy, there was something that disposed him to believe this man in whom hitherto he had seen only a hated rival, and who was so loudly proclaiming in Florence's very presence his love for Marie. "'Hurry!' he repeated. "'Every minute is precious!' Sauverin shook his head. "'I shall not hurry. All my words were carefully thought out before I decided to speak. Every one of them is essential. Not one of them can be omitted, for you will find the solution of the problem not in the facts presented anyhow, separated one from the other, but in the concatenation of the facts, and in a story told as faithfully as possible.' Why? I don't understand. Because the truth lies hidden in that story. But that truth is your innocence, isn't it? It is Marie's innocence. But I don't dispute it. What is the use of that if you can't prove it? Exactly. It's for you to give me proofs. I have none. What? I tell you I have no proof of what I am asking you to believe. Then I shall not believe it, cried Don Luis angrily. No, and again no. Unless you supply me with the most convincing proofs, I shall refuse to believe a single word of what you are going to tell me. You have believed everything that I have told you so far, Sauverin retorted very simply. Don Luis offered no denial. He turned his eyes to Florence Le Bassard, and it seemed to him that she was looking at him with less aversion, and as though she were wishing with all her might that he would not resist the impressions that were forcing themselves upon him. He muttered, "'Go on with your story.' and there was something really strange about the attitude of those two men, one making his explanation in precise terms, and in such a way as to give every word its full value, the other listening attentively, and weighing every one of those words, both controlling their excitement, both as calm in appearance as though they were seeking the philosophical solution in a case of conscience. What was going on outside did not matter. What was to happen presently did not count." Before all, whatever the consequences of their inactivity at this moment, when the circle of the police was closing in around them, before all it was necessary that one should speak and the other listen. "'We are coming,' said Sauverin in his grave voice. "'We are coming to the most important events, to those of which the interpretation, which is new to you, but strictly true, will make you believe in our good faith. Ill luck having brought me across Hippolyte Fauville's path in the course of one of my walks in the Bois, I took the precaution of changing my abode, and went to live in the little house on the boulevard Richard Wallace, where Florence came to see me several times. I was even careful to keep her visits a secret, and moreover to refrain from corresponding with her except through the poste restante. I was therefore quite easy in my mind. I worked in perfect solitude and in complete security. I expected nothing. No danger, no possibility of danger, threatened us. And I may say, to use a commonplace but very accurate expression, that what happened came as an absolute bolt from the blue. I heard at the same time when the prefect of police and his men broke into my house and proceeded to arrest me, I heard at the same time and for the first time of the murder of Hippolyte Fauville, the murder of Edmund, and the arrest of my adored Marie. Impossible! cried Don Luis in a renewed tone of aggressive wrath. Impossible! Those facts were a fortnight old. I cannot allow that you had not heard of them. Through whom? 
"'Through the papers!' exclaimed Don Luis, "'and more certainly still through Mademoiselle Levasseur.' "'Through the papers?' said Sauvran. "'I never used to read them. "'What, is that incredible? "'Are we under an obligation, an inevitable necessity, "'to waste half an hour a day in skimming through the futilities of politics "'and the piffle of the news-columns? "'Is your imagination incapable of conceiving a man "'who reads nothing but reviews and scientific publications?' "'The fact is rare, I admit,' he continued, "'but the rarity of a fact is no proof against it. "'On the other hand, on the very morning of the crime I had written to Florence, "'saying that I was going away for three weeks, and bidding her good-bye. "'I changed my mind at the last moment, but this she did not know, "'and thinking that I had gone, not knowing where I was, "'she was unable to inform me of the crime, of Marie's arrest, "'or, later, when an accusation was brought against the man with the ebony walking-stick, "'of the search that was being made for me. "'Exactly!' declared don luis you cannot pretend that the man with the ebony walking-stick the man who followed inspector verot to the cafe du pont neuf and purloined his letter i am not the man sauverin interrupted and when don luis shrugged his shoulders he insisted in a more forcible tone of voice i am not that man there is some inexplicable mistake in all this but i have never set foot in the cafe du pont neuf i swear it you must accept this statement as positively true Besides, it agrees entirely with the retired life which I was leading from necessity and from choice, and I repeat, I knew nothing. The thunderbolt was unexpected, and it was precisely for this reason, you must understand, that the shock produced in me an equally unexpected reaction, a state of mind diametrically opposed to my real nature, an outburst of my most savage and primitive instincts. Remember, monsieur, that they had laid hands upon what to me was the most sacred thing on earth. Marie was in prison. Marie was accused of committing two murders. I went mad, at first controlling myself, playing a part with the prefect of police, then overthrowing every obstacle, shooting Chief Inspector Anceny, shaking off Sergeant Mazeroux, jumping from the window. I had only one thought in my head, that of escape. Once free, I should save Marie. Were there people in my way? So much the worse for them. By what right did those people dare to attack the most blameless of women? I killed only one man that day. I would have killed ten. I would have killed twenty. What was Chief Inspector Anceny's life to me? What cared I for the lives of any of those wretches? They stood between Marie and myself, and Marie was in prison. End of chapter 10, part 1